Hello and welcome to a new episode of Let's Shape the Future. I am your host, Ben Dickinson, and this is a show where I chat with business leaders, inspiring individuals, and more about who and what is shaping the world we live in. A big thank you to the sponsors of today's episode, which are Beamery, and thank you for taking the time to listen to the content. If you enjoy, then please leave a review and share with any friends, family, or colleagues, or anyone else you think would also enjoy. Without further ado, let's crack on with the episode. Startups, marketing, fintech, and podcasts all in one episode. Uh, My guest today on Let's Shape the Future has vast experience in all of those areas, and I'm thrilled to be joined by Eric Fulweiler, founder and CEO of Rival, to chat about all of them. So Eric, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to chat with me today. Of course, happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Ben. Lovely. And so with all my guests, I love to find out where it all began. So um, give me a recap of your career up to now and sort of take us back to where it all began and how your positions have evolved over time. Yeah. So my career has not been the, I always knew what I wanted to be and just strategically worked my way towards it. To be honest, I feel like I'm still figuring what I want to, <laughs> figuring out what I want to be when I grow up. Um, so it's been a bit of a winding road. I actually went to university originally for music. I was going to mm-hmm. be a jazz musician. So I played tenor saxophone and you know, I went to school in Montreal and Canada and I gigged in Montreal and Canada, and Toronto and New York, and that was going to be my life. And then I realized I did not want to try to make a living as a professional musician. And so I ended up graduating with a degree in uh, international development, it was called. And that was basically kind of uh, politics and nonprofit work in the developing world. So I spent some time in Southern Africa. I went to work for the Clinton Foundation HIV AIDS Initiative um, and spent some time with them down in Latin America. And then I got a little bit frustrated working in the public sector. Mm-hmm. And so I decided I wanted to try to get into business, get into the private sector. And the idea then, and kind of still is now, although it's been a while, was to kind of learn how to actually build teams and grow things, deliver the results that you're looking for from working in businesses and startups, and then go back to nonprofit at some point. Um And so I ended up sitting down, you know, just kind of reached out to some people that I knew in New York. And I sat down with the CEO of Forbes.com. This was 2008 when .com was not only separate team, but like literally sat in a separate building from the actual magazine. And uh, he said, well, we need somebody to figure out this social media thing for us. You're young. Why don't you give it a shot? And so that brought me into this whole world of what back then was called Web 2.0. And that was called social media. And I think now is kind of just accepted as the state of the internet today. Um, And that's kind of where I guess I've grown up professionally. So I worked on a few startups in New York. I ran into this guy named Gary Vaynerchuk when he was leaving the wine world and starting a company called VaynerMedia. So I went to work for him as a first 15 employee. And, you know, that obviously exploded. It's about 1500 people now, Mm. but I was there from 15 to about 350. And then I went and I worked at a big global agency called Mullen Low in Boston and ran digital across the portfolio for them. And then went back to work for Gary to open the London office for Vayner, which is what brought me to this side of the pond. Did that for four years. The last two and a half years have been in fintech at a consultancy called 11FS. And then I just launched my own business two months ago. November 1st, we launched Rival, which is a management consultancy for CMOs and growth leaders. So we develop strategies and capabilities to help businesses grow faster. I've got to say that's probably the most varied CV resume that I've heard from from many of the guests in terms of position and industries. It's crazy. You know what? It's funny. I um, I 
I'm always kind of jealous of the people who are like, I know exactly what I want. Cause then you can work backwards and you can always be the most efficient with going to get it. Mm. But I think it's also okay to not know. And so for some of the people that are maybe earlier in their career, even for some of the people that are along the road a little ways, like I am, it's like, part of it is about being open to opportunity. And even if it's not exactly what you thought it would be, I think reacting to people like Gary, when they come up and say, Hey, I'm starting this thing. Do you want to come on board or taking the opportunity to, you know, finally go out on my own and see if I can build something myself. I think a lot of opportunity comes from reacting to things that come to you as a trying to, as opposed to trying to plan every step of the way. Mm, yeah. I think it's also like the, the sort of going through those different experiences in different roles and in different industries, it sort of teaches you what you like about certain businesses and what you don't like. And it's sort of, if you don't have that idea of where you want your end state to be, it helps sort of shape that journey and then sort of filters down into the right role. Right. Um, so for, for those that aren't aware, uh, as you say, Rival only launched um, in November. So who are Rival and what are you trying to achieve as an organization and, and what makes you stand out from the other types of marketing agency type businesses? Yeah. So as I was thinking about starting my own thing, working in service businesses is kind of what I know at this point. I've spent 10 years in ad agencies and then a couple of years in a consulting firm, like I mentioned in the fintech space. And so this mm -hmm. is the type of business that I know how to build and know how to run, but I think how to try to do it a little bit differently or what our unique position is in how we do what we do is, you know, I've worked, I've almost always worked with the exception of Forbes and maybe Mullen Lowe. I've almost always worked in high growth startups, but have had clients that are big incumbent organizations. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like I had a bit of a different point of view on where those worlds come together on the marketing and growth front. Meaning I've seen firsthand how startups and scale-ups operate differently and think about marketing differently compared to big brands and global enterprise organizations. And I actually think, you know, this term challenger marketing or challenger growth gets thrown around a lot. And there's a bunch of different definitions for it now. But to me, being a startup and scale up and the type of hyper growth that comes within those organizations, I think those actually come from a very specific mindset and model that those organizations apply to how they grow. And I don't think that you have to be a startup to be a challenger or to grow like a challenger. And so really what we're trying to do with Rival through the strategic work that we do or the capability work that we do is help any business think and act like a challenger. So that's what we're about at a high level. What that actually looks like when the rubber hits the road on a day-to-day -day basis is we're doing brand strategy. So helping businesses understand how to position their brands in a way that people are going to care about in a way that stands out in what are increasingly crowded marketplaces out there. We do a lot of work on go-to-market so how you actually implement and invest your marketing strategy and marketing resources to drive the business and brand results you're looking for. And then I'm really passionate about the culture and capability development side of things, because probably the thing that has been most true across all the work I've ever done is that people are the thing that deliver the results. You need a good strategy, you need the best technology, but that doesn't really matter if you don't have the right talent set up in the right way internally. So with everything that we do, that is kind of where we start and stop. We've got this um, first principle to how we operate and how we work with clients, which is we're trying to work ourselves out of a job as quickly as possible. And really what that means is we're not just about delivering the work. We're trying to deliver the impact and give as much of our expertise to our clients as possible. 
Um, so it's really across those three buckets, brand, go-to-market, and culture and capability development. That's where we sit. No, it's a fascinating concept. And you see it with large brands, especially that when they get so big, they get less agile. And it's a much more difficult thing for a large brand to try and sort of not only adjust, like it's easy enough for like the C-levels and senior executives to sort of announce that the company is shifting that mindset. But what I've found in previous organizations is for it then to trickle down and to ensure that the employees within that business have that mindset, that's where the challenge is. Yeah, totally. And that starts at the top, you know, that's the job of leadership. And I, you know, like I said, I've worked for many years with very big organizations and, Mm -hmm. you know, like we were talking before we pressed record, you've got experience at big organizations as well. It's so easy for me to sit here or us to sit here Mm -hmm. and kind of preach from the sidelines the reality of running an SAP or a general electric is very, very different. And I don't think that people in those organizations don't know this stuff, but um, it really comes down to kind of priorities and what you decide to be most important. And I have seen firsthand how a lot of those organizations can, I guess, lose sight is the word that I would use or the expression that I would use of the principles that got them to where they are. Because every business at some point was a challenger. SAP, General Electric, at some point, they were the challenger. Now they're the incumbent, but actually the way to continue to be the incumbent and continue to be number one in the market or continue to be as as competitive as you possibly can be is to actually think and act like a challenger, even if you're the biggest business in the world. And that's that's where the most opportunity is. And that's what gets me excited and why we don't only work with challenger businesses. I'm very passionate about helping incumbents act like challengers Mm -hmm. because if you have the scale and the resource and the experience of an incumbent, but you can actually deploy yourself like a challenger. That's the best of both worlds. Absolutely. And that's exactly how I'd describe it. Best of both. And so that's the sort of professional side of of Eric. And I love to do a a little section um, called what has shaped the guest. So I give you a couple of quick fire questions just to help the audience get to know the person behind the job role. Does that sound all right? Sounds great. So first of all, what's your favorite activity to do with your family at the weekend? Explore London and or eat both (laughs) those things together, actually. Um, Yeah, we've been here for six years. So London is home. And this is actually the place that we've lived the longest outside of where my wife and I both grew up. But there's so much to see. And so that's what we try to do is every weekend, you know, obviously COVID has thrown it for a bit of a loop, but try to get out to a different neighborhood, just see some of what the city has to offer. Hmm. Do you prefer a side night? Do you prefer the UK or the US? Well, we're here. We're still here. And I think we're here for a while. I mean, US is home. US Mm. is where family is. So there's always that draw, but we're pretty settled here. Got a house, kids in school, all that. So I think UK is home for a while. Nice. And when doing some research, I found that something that we both have in common is a love for CrossFit. Um, (laughs) What's your favorite and least favorite exercise or workout? Nice. I didn't know that. We'll have to talk more about that. Um, yeah, that's my really one and only passion. My life is basically family, work, and then fitness. Just those three things for the most part. Um, my favorite workout. So my I've only been doing CrossFit for a couple of years. And my background before that was kind of powerlifting. Mm-hmm. So anything that's like heavy barbell, that's usually my thing. And then the opposite is also true anything that is not that that's like gymnastics or super technical Olympic lifting. 
man, I still got a long way to go to mm. learn that stuff. Yeah, my my goal this year is is a ring muscle up. So I'm uh, I'm, I'm working towards it. it. Took me a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so frustrating. Um, and what's one thing when you visit home in the US that you then bring back? I saw that you're a big fan of baked goldfish. Is that right? Yeah, my kids are. Yeah, it's always it's almost always food stuff. Um, I can give you a very specific one just because it was in my suitcase coming over. There's a grocery store chain in New England. I think they might be national called Trader Joe's. Mm-hmm. And they make, if you've ever had an everything bagel, the spice on an everything bagel, like all the seeds and spices they put on it, this company Trader Joe's bottled it up as a seasoning. So we brought like three bottles of everything bagel spice from Trader Joe's back. It's kind of getting a trend here. A lot of, a lot of my life is food related. <laughs> nice. No, I'm, I'm exactly the same. And then finally, who are your biggest inspirations? It would be amazing to get one in business, one for podcasts and one for personal. So I think Gary definitely is a business inspiration for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I've worked for him for seven years. Um, and I tell people those seven years were probably the equivalent of seven MBAs worth of education and knowledge and learning from me. And he's still someone, you know, I'm still in touch with him. I still follow what he does and try to learn from him as much as I can now being on the outside. But I also really believe in work and in life, there's something to learn from everyone. So I don't think that um, inspiration needs to come from a huge influencer or a big time CEO. It can come from anybody and anyone that's around you. Like everybody has things that they're good at and things that they've learned. And so I actually think you know, the, if I level up my answer, that's probably the thing I would say to people is I think inspiration is actually more about you being open to finding it than it is the person that's giving it to you. Um, so Gary would be one on the work side. I've never actually thought about this before on the personal side, but I'm going to say my wife on the personal side, we have a lot of similarities, but we're also so different. And I am really inspired by her. Like she does amazing things in a way that I would never be capable of doing. And uh, it's fascinating to, to, to watch, you know, she just renovated this house. Um, and yeah, it's, I'm glad you asked me that question because I've never really thought about that. And I'll have to tell her that I gave this answer <laughs> on a podcast today. What was the third category? So is work podcasts, uh, podcasts. You know, I listen to, I kind of go through cycles with podcasts. So instead of list, there's very few that I listen to every week. Mm-hmm. Um, although Guy Raz, how I built this is one I listen to pretty consistently. I think he's great, but I kind of go through cycles. So I went through a Tim Ferriss cycle for a while. Um, since we launched our podcast, I listened to a ton of like CMO podcasts, mm-hmm. Jim Stengel, um, the CMO podcast. Um, there's a couple others that are out there. So I kind of go through, I try to rotate in as many new podcasts as possible when somebody recommends something to listen Mm. to. And again, just try to take a little bit of inspiration from a bunch of different people, as opposed to only having one person that is like the inspiration for me. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I think Joe, it's interesting. Like I've, I've asked that question to, to a lot of senior leaders and pretty much 90% of them have said a member of their family as the biggest inspiration. And I think that's important for the audience. Mm. Um, who are your, uh, who are your inspirations on the podcasting front? I, I thought you might ask me that it's, um, <laughs> I've got to say, I try to watch as many interviews and listen to as many podcasts and that sort of stuff as possible. And it's weird that 
the one person that I would love to meet and I would love to interview is a guy called Sean Evans. Uh, I don't know. It, so he hosts a show called Hot Ones. And um, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. We, he, he, the questions, I'm fascinated by the amount of research he does. And every single person he interviews will go, those were questions that I've never been asked before. And um, yeah. that really impresses them. And that sort of thing is who I am inspired by on the podcast stuff. Um, I've got, it's funny because I was thinking, and I would actually say Gary Vee is my business one as well, purely for the just get off your ass and go and do it yeah. type attitude that he drills into people. And that's exactly, for example, why I started this podcast is what are you going to lose by just getting up and doing it? Just put yourself out there. And I've seen nothing, nothing negative has come from me just putting myself out there. And I'd watch his content all the time about just get up off your ass, just go and do yeah. it. Just stop wasting time. And that really speaks to me. Um, and then just to, to round them off, I've got to say the, the final one um, is probably the, they were guests on the show, actually um, guys called Brad and Brian. And um, you obviously worked in social enterprise and, and um, some of the guests I've had have also been from social enterprises and Brad and Brian are also called the two blind brothers. And they were diagnosed with Stargard's disease when they were younger. So they've got no direct vision, but a little bit of peripheral, but they are registered blind. And they launched a clothing brand based on how, the clothing feels is obviously they can't necessarily see the mm. color and what they're wearing. So it was all based on how they feel and they were on the Ellen show and they're, they're huge in the States and um, all of the profits from the business goes towards funding clinical research for eye disease. And when I, pe when I speak to people like that and other social enterprises I've had on the show, I'm like, they are the people that are truly inspirational. Um, so yeah, all of those together is sort of where I'm trying to work towards. Yeah, that's great, man. Um, so, so moving on to sort of back back to the work sort of side of it, as someone's worked in both startup and large organizations, I'd love to know what you think are the key differences in life at both. Um, and also, as a startup grows, what are your top tips for them in keeping that culture that made them so successful? So, you know... I mentioned this earlier and I'll try to unpack the answer and add some color and context to it, but I really think it all comes down to the talent and the culture. Um, and that has to do with just the people in the organization, but it also has to do with how the leaders set things up from the top. But I think that the ability to move quickly, it sounds so obvious and almost cliche, but it is so true because it leads to so many opportunities, both from getting there faster and also from getting there faster when something is wrong mm -hmm. as well. Um, so I think that's one speed, agility, you know, being able to make decisions quickly, not having those layers of approval that you need to go through, or just kind of like just a culture of speed. Um, you know, Gary used to say speed is the most important factor in any organization. And I really do believe that that's true. Mm -hmm. um, and by the way, you also see that to my point of, you don't have to be a startup to be a challenger. There are plenty of massive businesses that are challengers. You know, Amazon is an example that I always throw out. And a lot of their culture, if you really look at it and go read the Bezos letters, talk to people who actually work there, you know, I'm sure it's slower than it used to be, but it's still incredibly fast and flexible with how they work. So I think that's a big piece of it. I think um, a big thing that defines 
how an organization exists and the type of business decisions they make is how long-term versus short-term oriented they are. Mm-hmm. So that's another fundamental one. And that is also kind of a classic cliche difference between a challenger and an incumbent is challengers are usually focused on the long-term. They're trying to build something big and bold and new and disrupt a market. And they're focused on the horizon. Whereas a lot of incumbents are for the way they're structured, the way their shareholder you know, uh, base exists, if they're tied to quarterly results for you know, um, being a public company or anything like that, a lot of them are much more focused on the few steps in front of them. And that just changes how you think about things and the types of decisions that you make. Um, so I think those are you know, big ones, being able to move quickly, stay flexible, being long-term oriented, having an appetite for risk, especially coming from the last few years, working in financial service, in the financial services world, that's a big one. And that's a reality. You can't, you know, a lot of these big financial service organizations or big companies in general, they just can't afford to take the same risk that startups can. But it's not a binary thing, this conversation, a challenger versus incumbent. It's not that you're mm. one or the other, it's a sliding scale. And so I think for any organization, whether you're a challenger trying to be more like a challenger or an incumbent, you know, trying to change things a little bit, it's kind of degrees of how you dial things up or dial things down. So you don't need to kind of go from zero to 10 right away on any of this stuff. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And it's interesting. When I first joined the organization that I work for now, I went from 100,000 employees to 200. And it's a huge difference. And the, the thing that the CEO said to me on my first day was, there is an allowance for mistakes here. If you yeah. have an idea, take it and run with it. We have an allowance for mistakes. Um, and that really speaks to how I am as an individual in terms of the speed that I like to work at. And as you say, going back to your point earlier, if large organizations can instill that sort of mentality, a lot of them would become a lot more agile than they've been over the last sort of decade or so. Um, So when I was doing a bit of research on Rival, the term innovative marketing was sort of plastered everywhere rather than it just being marketing. So how would you describe the power of innovative marketing and what can it help businesses achieve? Yeah. So I believe that all growth comes from innovation. If you really peel back all the layers and that is either innovation on the product side and, or innovation on the marketing side, we don't work on product innovation. I come from a business that did at 11 FS. That's what they did. And that's part of why I decided to go do this because I saw the impact that 11 FS could have on helping, you know, they just focus on financial service organizations, but helping incumbent businesses think and act like a challenger with product innovation. And I think there's a big need for that on the marketing side as well. So to me, innovation really means thinking about the world and the opportunities within it from scratch for the way things are right now, as opposed to the way things are were in the past. So if you are a challenger, if you are, let's just say a startup, a new business, you only know the world of today. So you are going to design your product and your marketing and everything that goes within your business to be purpose-built for the world of today. If you're an incumbent business, even if you are, especially with how much the world has changed in the last couple of years, even if you're eight to 10 years old, five years old, you were built for a world that looked very different. Mm. And so you now have to evolve how you do things to be fit for purpose for the world of today. So it's a harder job to innovate. But again, to what I was saying before, I think with the right mindset and the right model, really anybody can. So that's why I use the term innovation. You know, as we were thinking about how we want to talk about ourselves and where we want to fit, 
you know, a lot of people I talked to were like, oh, it's like digital transformation. And it kind of is, but I think that gets lumped into a very different connotation and a very mm-hmm. different conversation. And so I really think what we're doing is helping businesses innovate in their marketing function mm-hmm. to drive more growth. Sorry to interrupt, guys, and I hope you're enjoying the conversation. As we reach the halfway point of the show, I'd just like to talk to you a little bit about the sponsors of today's episode of Let's Shape the Future, Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform helps the world's largest organizations deliver more human experiences for talent and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce. Whether you're struggling to compete for the best talent and looking to move the needle on your DEI objectives or simply leverage AI to drive more efficiency, then Beamery could be the best next step in your talent transformation journey. If you'd like to learn more, then visit beamery.com or reach out to me directly and I can put you in contact with the right people. Now, let's get back to the episode. And linked to that, and you mentioned earlier about how the having the best talent is as important if not the one of the most important things as a lot of others in a successful business in a day and age where businesses are no longer just fighting with their direct competitors for the best talent how important is that marketing piece in terms of brand awareness for attracting the best talent to enable businesses to then sort of be agile and drive that transformation Yeah, it's a great point. And I think a lot of people don't put that together. Um, For most businesses, the consumer base they're trying to reach is going to be larger than the employee base they're trying to reach. Mm -hmm. But in a way, you could argue that getting the right talent is actually more important to then be set up to get the audience and the consumer base that you want to get to. So I think that that should be something that CMOs or heads of marketing are thinking about is how can we build a brand that people want to work for, Mm -hmm. as well as people want to buy from. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely think that it's important and some organizations have specific kind of employer branding mm-hmm. workflows and marketing that is specifically for attracting and retaining employees. But ideally, you know, marketing is about telling the story of who your business is. And so ideally you can reach both those audiences with a similar message if you have one that's compelling enough. Mm, no, absolutely. And I read the rival are remote first, fully flexible, um, is that sort of thing, the types of thing that businesses need to do in terms of ensuring they attract the best talent? And is that the, the sort of driving force for being that type of organization? Oh man, I've spent so much time thinking about this. I do not <laughs> think I have all the answers, but it's, it's so interesting, you know, starting a company now compared to thinking about if we had started Rival two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. So first of all, I don't think that there's one answer that's right for every company. Yep. And secondly, it's not like it's black and white. Of course, you need to be a remote. For, even of course, we need to be a remote first company. I mean, to be honest with you, I struggle working from home full time. I struggle having a startup and a young, small team that is not in a room together five days a week, mm-hmm. like it used to be in all the other startups that I've been in. However, every time, and it's at least every other day that I go around this you know, carousel in my mind of like, should it be remote? Should it not be remote? I get back to the same place, which is, I think it needs to be Mm -hmm. because the thing that matters most is getting the best people on board. And if you are an office-based company, especially if you're a startup with one or two locations, you can only hire people who can be in that office compared to the entire world. And so just the opportunity to get the best talent attract and retain the best talent. I think that makes it worth it. Of course, there's financial 
upside to not having the overhead of an office, you know, a ton of space, very expensive space that you're usually not paying, actually not using uh, all the time, but paying for all the time. But it really comes down to the talent. So we're trying to do a lot and I'm investing a lot of time and also resources in trying to figure out, you know, it's what I was saying about being fit for purpose for the world of today. The brief that I gave to myself and the person who's been working on the people operation side with me was, if you knew nothing about how businesses were built or operated in the past, and you only knew the world of January 5th, 2022, how would you design a company and a culture? And I think that a lot of innovation comes from having that kind of healthy ignorance of like, forget what you knew, just design something that fits for the world of today. And so we are remote first and fully flexible. And I think that we will stay that way, but we are really trying to recapture as much of the benefits Mm -hmm. of what an in-person office culture gives you. I don't think that we can get all of it, but there's a ton of thinking that we've gone through. We're going to try to share as much as we can about this as we go through the journey, because I think a lot of people are working through the same thing. Um, But that's some of my thinking on it to date. No, no, it's really interesting. And um, you said some really cool stuff there. And I think with the world of WeWorks and other sort of things there are ways to then get an organization together to do those types of workshops so i think there is the hybrid model and there's a happy medium between everything um is is really interesting and you you mentioned um gary vaynerchuk earlier and i'm fascinated by him i'm a huge fan and obviously you ran vaynermedia in the uk for for a number of years not many people get to see behind the curtain in his world so if you could sum up gary vaynerchuk in three words what would they be? Crazy. Amazing. Oh, three words is so tough. I might, <laughs> I, I might need a few more than that. Crazy, crazy, amazing, motivating, real or human. Mm. I'm not sure. It's a really good question. And I, I will say to my point of being inspired by everything around you, I'm a little bit inspired by this interview. And I think I'm going (laughs) to, I really like how you kind of have these mini segments Mm. and, and it, now I know why you talking about, um, sorry, I forget who you mentioned where you were like the, the types uh, the the guy who does the hot ones thing. Yeah. 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 Sure. Uh, The types of questions, like the depth Mm. and kind of novelty of the questions he asks. I'm I'm getting a little bit of that from you, which, (laughs) which is inspiring me to actually think about how I do my own podcast interviewing. So thank you for that. But yeah, it's a really good question. And that gives you some of the, you know, the, the super, the super concise answer, Mm -hmm. but really I would say for the people who don't get to see behind the curtain, a lot of it is what you see on the outside but there's a whole other dimension to who he is as a human being and as a boss and as a friend and as a mentor, he is by far, you know, the most impressive CEO that I've worked with. I've learned so much from him. Um, But underneath all of it, I think he genuinely cares most about the legacy that he's going to leave and the impact that he can have on people. So that guides so many of his decisions as much as how does he build his empire? And to sort of let you expand on the on the points, um, if looking back at your time, what were your top learnings or takeaways from working with him and in his business? So I actually, because a lot of people ask me that question, I actually wrote a post a while back. I don't know if you found that in your mm-hmm. research, but if not, I can send it to you and you can put it in the show notes. So th- I would direct people there because off the top of my head, I'm not going to give as good of an answer as what was in that. But what you will see in that is kind of what I was saying before. There's some really good business advice and lessons that I've learned from him, but also just kind of, 
it sounds cliche to say life advice, but it's really more, they're kind of like life lessons as much as, because it all comes down to people at the end of the day. And this is probably the red thread through our whole conversation, right? Whether it comes to innovation or culture or growth or uh, how you build your career, it's all about people. Like that's mm-hmm. what we do. Unless you only work by yourself and only somehow, you know, don't have customers or don't have clients, you gotta, you gotta know how to work with people. And you got to know how to get along with people and find the right people. And like, it, that's really what your job is mm-hmm. at, at, at a certain point. Um, and so I think he is the person who has the highest IQ, sorry, highest EQ I've ever come across his people skills in dealing with people, but also predicting what people are going to do and how behavior will change mm-hmm. are really amazing. So that's kind of the biggest lesson that I would wrap around all those other 20 lessons that again, I can share with you, or maybe you already have. Um, but it really comes down to that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you mentioned there about people skills and obviously you've been a podcast host for for years, especially at 11FS and now with Scratch. And for aspiring podcasters, people like me who are looking to improve their skills as they produce episodes, what would your top tips be? I think go listen to as many podcasts as you can. And listening to a lot of the people you like is good. But I think getting a breadth of input because you're going to pick different things from different people. So I think just doing your homework of trying to consume as much content and get inspiration and lessons and tips from as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. And then I'm a big fan of like you were talking about with how you started your podcast or Gary always preaches, like, just go start doing it. You know, it's going to not be great in the beginning unless you're naturally talented at it. Uh, and then it'll start to get better. So I think just putting in the work getting the reps, doing the practice, mm-hmm. and then and then being intentional about working on it, you know, to tie it back to kind of the CrossFit thing and to take a step back for the moment. One of the things that I find really fascinating is that we all have different aspects and dimensions to our life. We got work, we got family, we got friends, we got hobbies, maybe we have fitness like you and I do. And we tend to come up with ways that we get better in each areas of those in each area of our life, but we don't always think about how to apply them in other dimensions. And so, for example, it would be very natural for you or I to say, okay, you want to learn a ring muscle up, break it down, practice this part, then practice that part. And yeah, it's going to take you a couple months and you got to do a hundred reps or a thousand reps mm-hmm. or whatever it is. It's no different than learning how to do anything or learning how to do podcasting, break it down, get somebody to teach you or go watch a video of how you need to do it and then start working on the building blocks of it. And then you end up putting it all together. So I think there's something to be said of, you know, anybody who is listening to this, who's thinking about starting a podcast has learned how to do something well. And chances are the principles that helped you learn that are the same things that are going to help you learn how to do a podcast. Yeah. It's interesting. You talk about reps. So someone said to me, you'll do a load of episodes and then you'll look back at the ones at the start and you will cringe and you will hate it. And I haven't brought myself to look back at those episodes, but after this conversation, I think I'll do it and just have to uh, grin and bear it. But that kind of leads me on to my next question, which is you've had some amazing guests on your shows. If you were going to a restaurant and you were booking a table of four with yourself and three of the guests that you've had, who would they be and why? For scratch. Yes. Or it can be, can be any of them. Any, any people that you've interviewed in your life? Well, I think Gary would have to be on there. <laughs> can I let the guest bring a guest or do I have? Yeah, to no. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you do that. I'll let you do okay, that. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, I think I would pick, oh, I guess it's only four people. 
including yourself as well. So I'd I'd have idea if I could have five people. Okay. If I could have five people, I'd pick two guests and I'd have them each bring a guest. So I'd have Gary and I'd have him bring a guest. Um, oh man, I've I mean, I'm sure you feel the same way. Like doing the podcast interviews are like it's amazing. It's part of my job, Mm. you know, because it's something I would do. And conversations like this is what like I would do this for fun. I do do this for fun. I like having these conversations. I like either learning from people. And I think I'm learning from this conversation as well, but also having people kind of push, push me to think a little bit differently. So I feel really lucky. Um, and again, that's another reason to go start a podcast if you're thinking about it, but, uh, if I had to choose, so, uh, there's a woman named Carolyn Feinstein, who's the CMO of Vero, which is a challenger bank in the U S I found my conversation with her really fascinating. James Kidd, who's the CMO of uh, Zero, the accounting software. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really liked my conversation with him. So many good ones, but there's a few for you. I think that's a table of four right there. Nice. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. No, And talking of, of pushing you in this, in this interview, obviously you've worked heavily in the fintech space um, as well as marketing innovation and with people like Gary Vee. And Gary Vee's very big on NFTs and that sort of stuff. What are your predictions in terms of web three concepts such as cryptocurrencies nfts and are they things that you have to think about when launching a business in 2022 i think you have to think about them um i think that there is a bit of a bubble and a hype cycle Mm -hmm. around that stuff right now and so i think there is a lot more noise than there is signal i'd agree yeah but you know actually gary is someone who I interviewed him about what he's doing with NFTs for scratch, but also he's put out a ton of content about how Mm. he's thinking about the space. So I'd encourage people to go listen to that. And uh, I agree with a lot of what he's saying in that he kind of likens it to the dot-com bubble of the early 2000s and late 90s, where yes, massive bubble. And there are things that are propped up right now that do not have the value underneath them, but the infrastructure that's being built is massive. Mm -hmm. And from where we sit right now, we can't see the full implications of it. So I think it is important to be thinking about it, to be getting your hands dirty in tasting this stuff in testing this stuff and just getting exposed to it and learning it. Even if you don't think that your business is going to do something in it directly, because I do think that much like the internet in 1999, there were so many businesses that were like, you know, my business will never, people will never buy wine online. Mm -hmm. You know, people will never do this online. Um, and I do think that what's happening, the groundwork that's being laid for Web 3.0 is much bigger than any of us can really see right now. So I do think it's important to kind of try to get ahead of that if you can. The last thing I'll say is I'll pull another quote from Gary. He always said that uh, reacting to the present is more important than predicting the future, mm-hmm. which I think is very true. You know, you can ask a ton of really smart people, much smarter than I, about Web 3.0. But actually, if you just look right in front of you, there's so much opportunity to be ahead right now without having to worry about what 12 months or 24 months from now is going to look like. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the sort of internet stuff. I I put out a bit of content the other day where there was a clip from 1994 when I think it was NBC or something. They were like, what is the at symbol? What does it mean? Like at NBC, like what what is the internet? And, And then I sort of compared it to a conversation that Gary had with Mark Zuckerberg recently talking about web three and i'm like i look forward to when we look back on now with the same sort of lens as we do with 1994 and to see what 
what that noise was and what has actually come through as the proper use cases of this technology. So um, for someone like me, like I love this sort of stuff. Like this is really exciting to see what will, what can the future be? Um, so yeah, I, I can't wait to look back. Yeah. History repeats itself. Mm, absolutely. And as we come to the conclusion of the episode and we've guess I love to get one final piece of advice for anyone that's listening. So that could be to sea levels management, early talent, or anyone in between what would be that one piece of advice that you'd give them? I think there's a lot of stuff that we've touched on that could be the kind of final punchline for this. Um, but I think the direction that I'll go in is actually, you were the first one to say it. I think, you know, just getting started, getting started mm-hmm. with the idea you have or the thing you're thinking about. And that could be a personal passion, like starting a podcast or learning a ring muscle up, mm-hmm. or it could be a professional opportunity like, you know, introducing agile into your team or figuring out what NFTs mean to your business. So much more is lost through inaction than wrong action. And I think that mentality of moving fast, being comfortable with taking a little bit of risk Mm -hmm. and then being flexible if, and when you need to, I think that's so, so important in work and in life. So I think I'd pick that theme to wrap things up because I think that applies to a lot of what we talked to talked about. Amazing. And yeah, Eric, I've really enjoyed today's episode and it's been an absolute pleasure hosting you on Let's Shape the Future. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule. It's been amazing learning, learning about innovative marketing, the power of people and, and everything in between. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me, Ben. Thanks. And that's it. That's the end of another episode of Let's Shape the Future. Big thank you for taking the time to listen. If you did enjoy the show, then please leave a review and share with anyone else you think would also enjoy it. We've got some great guests coming up. Next week, we're actually doing a one-year-on episode with previous guest Mark Gallardo from Air Canada. Can't wait. Hope you have a great week, guys.